0: Last week, we started a new series called Neighboring, and uh, really in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus' two greatest commands, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And more specifically in this series, we're looking at what it would look like if we take this command literally and begin to love our next door neighbors. And uh, what would it look like if we love the neighbors across the street like Jesus is calling us to? What would it look like if you love the people in the apartment complex beside you, or the the neighbors that that have the acreage down the street from you. Several years ago, a group of pastors and leaders in Denver began to meet together, and just these pastors began to get a heart for their city, and they wanted to get outside the four walls of the church, and so they began to get together, and just to kind of dream about how they could make an impact and a difference in their city, And it became pretty clear, pretty quick, that the best way to do that was for the the church just to begin to serve the city. And so they thought, okay, if we want to really serve our city in a way that's that's meaningful, in a way that's that's impactful, it would only make sense if we invite some city officials into our meetings, people like the fire chief and the police chief and the school superintendent and the mayor, invite these uh, people into our meeting and just begin to ask them how we can serve our city. And so they did this, they got these people together, um, one at a time, and every time that they would come together, uh, the pastors would have the same two questions for these city officials. First question was, what's your dream for our city? And the second question was, if you had a magic wand that you could just wave over our city and change anything about our city, um, what would that thing be? And at one of these meetings, they invited the mayor of Denver, and as the mayor was sitting there, they asked him these... Two questions. Um, what's your dream for our city and what would you love to see changed about our city? And the mayor, who had been prepared with these questions in advance, he pulled his list out of his pocket and he began to read off a list that was a list that any good mayor should have um, uh, to answer those, those questions. He mentioned things like uh, no at risk kids, no financial debt in the city, no single moms struggling to try to get by on, on their own. And, and the mayor went on and on to talk at length about how he'd like to see funding and support for all these different social is- issues that were present in the city. And as the mayor was sharing this list, the pastors were all there with their notepads and they're just uh, scribbling things down and writing all these things down, all these different ideas down that they were having because when they left this meeting, they were going to go back to their churches and, and, and the plan was just that they were going to change the city and, and just completely see uh, it, it just transformed as they and their churches just put all their resources towards making a difference in their city. Well, the mayor finished up, and he put his list away, and as he was leaving, he said something almost in passing that brought this massive shift to the way these pastors viewed their, their city. The mayor said, um, you know, I'm going to quote this, if, if you really want to make a difference in our city, you'll start a neighboring movement. In other words, the people in your church will simply begin to care for the people they live next door to. And this light bulb kind of went on for these pastors, and uh, they began to just kind of think about what this could mean and what it could look like. And, and they ended up actually inviting the mayor back and some city officials for another meeting because uh, they just wanted to hear a little bit more about what the mayor was, was thinking. And the mayor started to talk uh, just in, in greater detail about the frustration that they were having with all the city programs that had started, because what would typically happen is all this excitement would build around this program and and the funds would pour into that. But then after a couple years, excitement would kind of wane and and the funds would dry up and people's lives would go back to normal. But they began to talk about how it would be so much more effective if neighbors simply began to care for their next door neighbors. So either the city could go out and start another elderly shut-in program, Or people could just begin to care for the elderly shut-ins that live right next door to them. The city could go out and start a new program for, for fatherless boys and girls, or neighbors could just start to take initiative and care for the boys and girls that lived right next door to them. And these guys began to see something that Jesus was constantly trying to teach and trying to get through to us, and that's that relationships trump programs every single time. Jesus was all about relationships. It's relationships that matter. And, and this is true anywhere in life, but especially for the follower of Jesus. Because uh, we know that Jesus didn't look down from heaven and go, okay, humanity is broken. And so I, I need to set up some programs that will help fix things. And this isn't a, a bash on programs by any, in, any, in any way at all. But what he did is he said, okay, I'm actually going to step down out of, out of heaven and I'm going to go down, and and I'm actually going to step down into to their neighborhood, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sh- share my life. I'm gonna walk among them, and I'm gonna actually even even give my life for for humanity. And you know, this last week I was I was um, meeting with our small group. Um, I'm in a small group that meets every every Tuesday night. A small group is is basically just a group of people that call CTK Ferndale home who want to be about following Jesus together outside of, of these four walls and doing life together, all that stuff. Well, this last Tuesday, we were kind of getting ready to to uh, wrap up our time together. And like we usually do when we wrap up, we, we go around and we just ask, is there anything that we can be praying for? And one of the ladies in our group, she mentioned how just this past week, she had a neighbor who lives just across the street pass away. And this, this neighbor who had passed away was an elderly lady. She... Uh, lived with her husband and their grandson. And I asked this lady in our small group, um, is there anything that we can do as a small group just to kind of you know, show we care and, and help this, this grieving family? Can we take them some meals? Can we organize a meal train or something like that? And she, she said, no, don't worry about it. It's all being taken care of by our neighbors. And then she went on to just tell about how this last week, they've just been making meals, making this guy's favorite bread, all this kind of stuff. And I thought... Well, that's what neighboring, being a caring neighbor looks like. That's what these pastors in Denver had in mind. But even more so, that's what, that's what Jesus had in mind. And last week, we touched on, on one of the most important passages in Scripture. Um, it's the passage where Jesus talks about loving your neighbors. And this morning, I want to dive back into the same passage a little bit deeper. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We're going to be in this text this morning. We're going to come back to it again next week. It's going to be kind of like a foundational text of this whole series. I would encourage you to go home this week, pull out your Bible, and dive into it in your own devotional time. Uh, you will get a ton more out of this series if you do that. But um, this, in this passage, a smart religious guy has a question for Jesus, and it's probably the most important question that a person could ask. Uh, And we're going to read how Jesus responds. The Bible says this. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's the question. It's a great question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But this guy has a terrible motive for asking it. He actually doesn't really want to know about eternal life. He's not interested in following Jesus. He wants to test Jesus. He's actually hoping to trap Jesus here. And uh, so he asked this, this question. And Jesus, I love how Jesus responds. He knows this man's heart. He knows this man's motive. And yet he is just so gracious in how he responds to this guy. Like Jesus loves to do, he responds with some questions. He asks, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered the, this expert in the law. He answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, Jesus has been asked this same question before. In fact, you can read it in different places in scripture. um, Asked by other experts in the law. It was actually common in Jesus' day for for teachers to discuss the big questions in life a lot. And and this is the, the big question right here. And like all great teachers do, Jesus would come back to this, this question over and over again. And he would repeat himself, especially in the matters that were most important. And and this is one that this, this matter is important because it it holds the keys to having life to the full. And if you've been around CTK Ferendal for any length of time, you've heard me talk about uh Life and life to the full, and I love preaching on how Jesus came to do just that. John 10, 10, he didn't come to make your life miserable. He didn't come to make your life just this this, this despairing sort of drudgery duty of religiosity that you had to wade through. No, he came to bring life. He came to bring life to the full. And I've often thought, though, uh, when it comes to real life, I've thought about it... uh, Mainly in terms of of making my life all about Jesus and centering my life around Jesus and just being satisfied in in God and in who He is, but Jesus in this passage of Scripture, I, I noticed something this week that I've never really seen before. He says, "If if you yes, it's about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but that's actually only half of of the picture. If you really want to have life, if you really want to live as God is calling." us to, and inviting us into, it's not only about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's also about loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this, and you will live. But then listen to what this expert in the law says next. He sa- it says in the Bible, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus, he goes on to, to take this question and just to blow it up. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which we're going to dive into a little bit more next week. But this expert in the law, who really isn't interested in loving his neighbor, who's heard this before, he's looking for a way out. He's looking for a loophole. He's like, yeah, Jesus, I've heard that before, but you know, who, who really is my neighbor? In fact, some Bible scholars believe that this guy had heard Jesus discuss these two commands before, and he had asked them mainly because he had thought of a clever question that would trap Jesus, who, who is my neighbor? But he asked this question, who is my neighbor? And he's looking for a loophole. Now, I don't know what it is about, about us, but we always seem to be trying to find the loophole. We like loopholes. And this actually starts way back when we're teenagers. If you're a student in the room, you might be really familiar with this today. Um, you are, uh, you're out at a party. Your parents catch you at a party where there's no parent supervision. And when they call you on it, you go, but you, you asked if their parents were going to be there. And I answered yes because I knew that eventually they were going to be there. You didn't ask if they were going to be present at the moment. We found, we found a loophole. Or you see that sign that says, dogs must be on leash. And, and you, you go, okay, I'm good because I just have a dog. I don't have dogs, plural. And so, FIDO, you're good to go. Run, play, do your business wherever you want because you found a loophole. I don't know if you ever heard about the guy who decided to take advantage of, of the loophole or a loophole in Starbucks loyalty program So if you're a Starbucks <laughs> customer, you can get their little card and register and all that, and you put your birthday in, and on your birthday, they'll give you a free drink. Well, this guy decided that he was going to go out and and buy 365 cards, register them all with different names and different birthdays so that he would never have to buy a mocha ever again in his life. He found a loophole. Now, I wouldn't suggest trying that this week with the Starbucks that's going to be opening up in town because they'll probably pick up pretty quick that same person, different name. But he found a loophole. Now, if you're anything like me, Whenever you've heard that command to love your neighbor as yourself, what's the first thing that you start doing? You start to think, okay, uh, what's the loophole here? And you think, of course I need to love my neighbor, and everybody is my neighbor. So when I say hi to the checkout person at Costco and I start to talk to them, I'm loving my neighbor. When I take my headphones off at work and I start to engage in conversations with the other employees in the lunchroom, I'm loving my neighbor. If I go to Africa and give away food and water, I'm loving my neighbor. When I talk to the other soccer parents on the sideline, I am loving my neighbor. And if that's what you interpret Jesus to mean in Luke 10, guess what? You are 100% right. You're right. That's what Jesus is talking about, and that's he would later go on to define... In Luke chapter 10, but here's the deal, it doesn't make the person across the street any less of a neighbor. Here is a crazy, radical thought for you. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he also meant to love your next door neighbor. He also meant that. Like this expert in the law, we would prefer to justify our lack of love for our neighbors by, by making everybody our neighbor. And what happens is when we make everybody our neighbor, pretty soon, nobody is our neighbor. And if we make our life all about, okay, we're going to love everyone, we might find ourselves ending up loving no one. And Jesus, who who happens, by the way, to be a pretty smart guy, uh, he, he talks about loving our neighbor. And is it possible that like those pastors in this Denver meeting, um, while they're scheming up how they're going to go out and just Flip the city upside down, change the city, make this big difference in the city, that Jesus is going, "Um, guys, hey, I've actually got a pretty good plan on how to make a difference. Love me with everything you have and love your neighbors as yourself. And and notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't doesn't say love God and convert your neighbors by, by teaching them the four spiritual laws. That's not what this is about. He says it's about love, love your neighbors. And it's interesting, um, there's been some research done recently into this idea of neighboring. Uh, 50, 60 years ago, this actually used to be pretty common. Uh, you've probably seen movies or documentaries where people sit on the front porch and they chit-chat with the neighbor across the street. It just was more common. But as we've become more isolated and more withdrawn, what's actually happening is people are going, this, life's not supposed to be like this. And so there's actually... Um, studies that have been done on millennials, and one of the things that millennials are asking for uh, more than previous generations is for front porches because they're going, life's not just about being isolated. But there's been these studies that have been done, and one of them was done recently in the Journal of Social Science and Medicine, and it found that people who said they knew and trusted their neighbors were also more likely to report higher rates of health and well-being than those who didn't. You've probably seen during natural disasters, um, whether it's a flood or a mudslide or a fire or anything like that, what happens really fast is all the systems in place quickly get overwhelmed, and who steps in to meet the need first? Neighbors, caring neighbors. Jesus seems to be on to something here. But I wonder if there's any difference between the way us in this room who call ourselves followers of Jesus, neighbor differently than those who don't call themselves followers of Jesus. And if I'm brutally honest with myself, I would have to say, yes, there actually is a difference. And the difference is this. I have neighbors who actually care for the neighbors in my neighborhood way better than I than I do. I have, uh, when Becky and I first moved into the neighborhood that we live in, we live in Malloy Village, and we've been there for almost two years. Uh, this April will be two years. And when we first moved in, we thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to meet our neighbors, get to know some of the people around us. And so we got a little bit old school, and we just kind of walked down ar- around our little uh, neighborhood loop and just knocked on doors and said, hey, my name is Rich, this is Becky, we're your new neighbors just down the street. Well, we came to this one house, and I wasn't expecting the response that I got. We knocked on the door, and you would think that this couple's favorite people on the planet had just moved in down the street. <laughs> I mean, they like flung the door wide open. They're like, "Come on in, come on in, come on in!" It's like they were expecting us for something. Uh, she she had like some goodies and some treats, and she she gave us uh, some 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 food, and they sat us down, and we ended up being there for a full hour. Uh, just talking with this, this amazing couple. Now, I was thinking, okay, if the situation had been turned around, it was flipped differently, and it was me in my neighborhood, and some new neighbors came and knocked on my door, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm quite that hospitable. I'm probably thinking in my head, okay, I don't know these guys. They might be really odd. If I invite them into my home, they might take that as an invitation to be their best friend on the whole planet. They might show up every single day, Or they might walk in and see all the dirty dishes lying around the house. But these guys are are different. They seem to just be concerned about showing their new neighbors that that they care. Um, This past year, um, we had some other neighbors moving across the street. And uh, um, this is a family that's super easy to get to know. They have two kids that are the same ages as as my two youngest daughters. And uh, it was last summer we found out that he was going to be home Alone, while his family went on a uh, a little vacation, and this was over the uh, Fourth of July weekend. So I thought, okay, well let's have let's have him over. We'll invite him to be a part of our Fourth of July party, and so uh, we we did. And this guy, uh, who's always up for a party, said yes, I'm there. And then he went on to insist that he cook all the 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 food for um, the dinner that we had planned. We told him we're going to have carne asada. It's our favorite meal. Uh, and he's like, uh, I'll cook everything. I'll cook like four or five different kinds of meat. And he did, just, he did that. Now, understand, I have a large family. I have five kids. Um, my brother and his wife were visiting. They have four kids. So between our nine kids, there's six teenagers. And we all know how teenagers eat, right? Like they'll eat out of house and home super fast. This guy knew all of that. And yet he insisted that he do all the cooking, and I mean, this guy spent hours, hours cooking this amazing, incredible meal for us. And I was thinking this week, if it had been flipped around, if I had a neighbor who said, hey, I know you're going to be home alone, Rich, 4th of July weekend, I know that Becky and the kids are gone, and uh, I'd love to have you come and be a part of our party Um, My whole large family is going to be there. My brother and his whole large family who you don't know, they're going to be there. Honestly, it's not even on my radar (laughs) to think about offering the cook all the food for this event. But this guy, he's like, yeah, I'm in there. And I have neighbors who neighbor much better than I do. I don't know about you, but, but these commands that Jesus has given us to love God and love my neighbors they actually make me really uncomfortable for for a number of reasons. But the biggest reason that they make me uncomfortable is because they actually expose what's going on inside my heart. And, and let me just explain that. These two commands that Jesus gave are actually inseparable. You can't, hear me on this this morning, you can't love God and not love people. I think you can love People and, and not love God, but you, you can't love God and not love people. Those, those two commands are inseparable. In fact, there's this other place in the Bible where the Apostle John is addressing Christians. Uh, he's writing this letter to this church, and it's a group of, of Christians who are struggling with their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says this, he says, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And it, it actually works the same way when it comes to neighbors. That's why Jesus married these two commandments together, love God and love, love your neighbor as yourself. They, they are intricately connected. There's this other verse in the Bible that's really interesting and convicting. In the book of Galatians, um, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church, he says this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Isn't that a good calling to have? little side note there. We're called to be free. Not enslaved, not in bondage. You're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's interesting about that, you ask, isn't something missing there? You know, we just read about how Jesus comes to this expert in the law, and Jesus says the entire law is summed up in these two commands, love God and and love your neighbor. But here in this passage of Scripture, it's summed up in one command to love love your neighbor. Now, why would, would God do that? Why would God have this in the holy inspired scripture. Did he leave something out? Did he forget something? Well, I actually think that that's done on purpose. And it isn't because love for your neighbors is more important than love for God. It's because love for your neighbors is proof of your love for God, which lays my soul bare in a very uncomfortable, convicting way when I don't love my neighbors as myself. If I don't love my neighbors, what does that say about my love for God? There's this, this author, his name is John Bloom, who talks about how God, God designed things in such a way as to make it really hard for us to be phony. And uh, John Bloom, he says this. He says, our faith is revealed by our works. You can read about that in James 2.18. Our creeds are revealed by our deeds. You can read about that in Luke 6.46. And our love for him is revealed by our love for for others. He makes it very hard for us to fake it. Any conversation about loving your neighbor has to start with loving God. Because God, is, he, he's, he's not interested in giving us these commands to love him and to love our neighbor and then have us leave this time together this morning, going out and trying really hard to be kind and trying really hard to to show that we care, and just doing it because we don't really want to be doing it, but that's what he says, and we're going to do it because we feel guilty if we don't. He's not actually interested in that. God is is interested more than in changing your behavior. He's interested in changing your heart. He wants to transform and change your heart and make it into a heart that loves him more than anybody else and then goes out and loves neighbors and sometimes the best place to begin when it comes to loving our neighbors is with an honest conversation with God that might go something like this. God, if I'm honest with you, I'm actually not loving you more than anyone or anything else. God, there's, I've drifted. Lord, I've, I, I keep putting other people. I keep putting other things above you. Lord, you're not the king of my heart. God, I repent. I come back to you. Change me. Help me love you with everything I have. And then, Lord, help me to love my neighbors, as myself. God is interested, very interested, in how much we love him and how much we love others. And you, you've you heard me say this before and you will hear me say this over and over and over again. The evidence of spiritual maturity is not how many times you show up to church on a Sunday morning. It's not. It, it's not how many Bible verses you can quote. It's not how much how much information of the Bible you have stuffed in your head. The evidence of spiritual maturity is very simply how much has your love for Jesus grown and how much has your love for others grown. Amen. That's what Christ is interested in. And when it comes to our, our next door neighbors in particular, they, they, they fall into one of three categories for all of us in this room. When, when you think of your neighbors, so think just for a second, get, get in your head the The people who you call neighbors, maybe just like the seven or eight people that live around you, they fall into one of three categories. Either one, they're a stranger, or two, they're an acquaintance, or three, they're somebody that you would call a friend. And and here's the thing, though. The reality is, is that for most people, whether people in this room or people that, that don't go to church, the reality is their neighbors fall into the first two categories, either stranger or acquaintance. Many people don't even know their neighbors' first names, let alone what they value, what what they care about, what their story is, what makes them tick, all that kind of stuff. And the reason that we don't know all that stuff is very simple. It's because we don't talk to our neighbors. In fact, in the winter, as, as far as neighborhoods are concerned, the winter might as well be called hibernation season because <laughs> we just go into our homes we shut the blinds because we don't want to see the gray clouds and the rain and all that kind of stuff we make sure our garage is cleared out so we can just we don't have to walk through the rain to get inside our house we just go and we, we we hibernate we just hide out inside of our home but here's the thing we can't love our neighbors if we live like this which is something that we need to stop and think about when jesus has said that loving god and loving your neighbors are the two most important things in life. And, and this doesn't mean that you will be best friends with all your neighbors. You have neighbors that have zero time and zero interest in any kind of relationship with you. That's just the cold reality. But you also have neighborhood or people in your neighborhood that are desperate, desperate to have people in their lives that care for them. And, and, and something that that is I, really part of this this whole series uh, is helping you to see that what you do in your front yard counts. What you do in your front yard counts. It matters. It matters. And, and, and for honest, most of us don't live life as if what happens in our front yard counts. Most of us live life as if our house is just our home is just where we live, and it's just where we eat and sleep and all that kind of stuff. What really matters is my job and my work and my career and, and, and what I do in my church and, and what I do in my community, what I do out there. But Jesus is helping us to see that what we do in our front yard counts. Jesus could have cho- chosen any other word in that command. He could have said, it's all about loving God and loving others. It's all about loving God and loving People. But he chooses to say lo- it's about loving God and loving your neighbors. What you do in your front yard, it matters. It matters to God. It matters to your neighbors. And and if if we really want to experience life to the full, it should matter to us as well. And and what I want to do this morning as we wrap up is I would just love to pray that Jesus would help us in this area. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord. I just want to, this morning, confess that the Lord, God, I, God, we, God, we, uh, Lord, we don't engage and care for and show compass, compassion and be as generous with uh, our next door neighbors, Lord, as I know you're calling us to be, or we don't love like you're asking us to love in And so, Lord, I would pray this morning that, Father, you would would come in and change us. God, this isn't about us feeling guilty. Lord, this is about us having our eyes open to how you're calling us to just a whole new level, God, of love for you and love for for our neighbors. And, And, Lord, we can't do that on our own. God, we can try to change our behavior, and, God, we can go out and maybe do some cool things, but... Lord, we can't change our heart on our own. God, that's got to be a work of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you would come and transform our hearts. Lord, I pray that this love for you and this love for others would, first of all, God, flow out of a deep, deep understanding of how much you love us. God, it is no coincidence that, God, this morning, God, the songs that we have been singing, God, are are about the love that you have for us that never runs out, that, that steadfast it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, no matter how uh, we act, God, no matter what we do, God, your love, it stays the same. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we continue, God, this, this conversation about loving you and loving our neighbors, that, God, it would, it would flow out of a deep, deep understanding and appreciation, God, for your love that you have for us, that you've demonstrated so freely. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord... Uh, we would be a people that loves radically. Lord, may, God, may we, got a year, or two, five years, be able to come back and say, okay, yeah, the way that we loved our next-door neighbors, it just, it's changed. and Not because we're so awesome, but because Jesus is so awesome, and because he's working and moving in powerful ways. So, Father, help us in this, I pray. Help us, help us to be like you, I pray, Jesus, in your name. And everybody said this morning,